Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Continuing our series today, Faith That Works in the book of James, turn to James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Good Gifts. Many of you have heard the saying, God is good all the time. It's true. Indeed, it's such a precious truth that I think it's one of the foundational truths of every believer. But to say that God is good all the time is saying something very different from those who say, I will not have hardship in my life. Or those who, when they're diagnosed with cancer, would say, well, that cancer can't come from God because God is good all the time. See, there is in my mind something very radical that's communicated to us in the book of James. James 1 verse 3 says, count it all joy when you meet trials. And James 1 verse 12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will inherit the crown of life. You know, for those of you who are suffering trials right now, this can be either very good news or very bad news. See, it's good news if you embrace it. If you embrace this, you will embrace it based on two prior assumptions. The first is what I call the meticulous sovereignty of God. And that's to say, I don't just believe that God rules all things. I believe that God rules all things down to the meticulous details. And that's to say that whatever befalls me comes from his hand. As Luther once said, even the devil is only God's devil. That is, he can only do that which God permits him to do. Hence, even Job's trials, though they came from the hand of the enemy, came to Job because of the permission of God. The second assumption is also necessary. God uses all things for the long-term eternal good of the believer. He will allow only that trial that he, in his infinite wisdom, knows will serve to our long-term good. I remember having a conversation with a woman who was then in the early stages of Huntington's chorea. It's a, it's a horrible inherited neurological disease that, that has no cure, and it always leads to death. She said, is this from God? I hesitated, but she insisted that I tell her the truth. I finally said exactly what I've just said now. She said, oh, I'm so glad, because I don't think I could walk through this if this were not from the loving hand of my Heavenly Father. Not everyone feels that way. You know, some shake their fist in anger at God and demand that he give an account of himself. Some even begin to become deeply bitter with God, the lost all sense of his long-term eternal wisdom. It's a wisdom that gives good gifts to his children. And with that in mind, I'm reading James 1, 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know, in the Greek language, the word for trial and the word for temptation is the same word. And that can be confusing. God doesn't tempt anyone, but he does introduce trials into our lives. And yet, it's the same Greek word. 
And so for our purposes, we need a way of being able to spot the differences between a trial which comes from God and a temptation which does not come from God. See, a trial is an external pressure in our lives. As we're making our way through the book of James, we've noticed that trials give the believer reasons for joy, knowing that God is prepared for us an eternal reward. Just like the the son of a king who's being trained to rule, so God is preparing his sons and daughters to rule and reign with Christ. And God's calling all things to work together for the eternal good of his children. But temptation, that word is nothing positive. You know, temptation, rather than being an external pressure, is an internal pressure, where we sense the pressure to rebel against the purposes of God. Temptation is the enticement to do evil. It's the pressure to subvert the purposes of God, to, to rebel against his goodness, to throw his commands behind our backs, and to embark upon our own course. That's temptation. And what's obvious, however, from our study of James is that trials can give rise to temptations. When James writes these Jewish Christians that have been dispersed because of their faith in Christ and who now face hardships and trials of many kinds, he's concerned for those who are suffering. They must not, because of their trials, fall into the enticement of temptation and then blame the temptation on God. You know, there's an old saying, the same sun that melts the butter also hardens the clay. Don't blame the sun. It has to do with the consistency of that which it shines on. The reaction between clay and butter is so very different, isn't it? Clay becomes stronger, butter melts away. Even so, God may bring trials, but our internal condition determines how we're going to respond to them. So then, when are trials bad? Well, answer, trials can be bad when it leads us to question the goodness of God. Look again at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. See, you and I might, when we are suffering, pray as follows. We might say, God, the reason I'm struggling with my faith in your goodness is because you brought this hardship into my life. And if this is what we're thinking, well, we're wrong. God never enticed you to abandon your faith or to question his goodness or to do evil. God never brings temptation into our lives. He is never the source of it. God is at all times untouched by evil and never the author of evil. You know, but it might seem different to us. There may be situations that God leads you into which seem to elicit sinful desires in you. I mean, think of it outside the realm of hardship. Let's say that God in his grace causes you to prosper financially. You thank God and say, God, I know that all my financial success came from you. But as you go down the road, your finances become an idol. Soon you're traveling constantly and hardly ever show up for church or participate in worship and service. And now you get introduced to pleasures you never knew existed before and you're enticed. And gradually, you find yourself never thinking about, well, discipleship and cross-bearing and sacrifice. So here's my question. Did God bring that about? Well, he did bless you financially. That's true. But he did not, by bringing this blessing into your life, entice you to forget him and to sin. That didn't come from God. The same is true about trials and our response to them. 
So trials can be good or bad depending upon our reaction to them. So how do you make the distinction between understanding the role of trials and the role of temptations and the place of God in our everyday lives? Well, the answer is that we know we face temptation from either the world, the flesh, or the devil when we find ourselves enticed to give in to sinful desires. Look again at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The word desire is in itself not a bad word. Desire in and of itself can be good. For instance, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, I have earnestly desired, same word, to eat this Passover with you. So, for instance, you know, a man can look at a woman and say, well, she's a very beautiful woman. And it never goes beyond that. Not in his actions, not in his thoughts, not in his imagination. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. But he might look at a woman and say, well, she's beautiful and I desire to have her. Well, that's a very different thing. Now, if he's single, he might mean I've noticed her before and uh, we have some conversations and I'd be very much open to a relationship with her that, that could lead to marriage. Well, I would desire that, he might say. That would be desire. Nothing wrong with that, provided it's respectful and it's righteous. But a man might say the same thing in a way that's innately sinful. You know, he's married. Or he simply wants sex with her. You know, desire, depending on how it's worked out, is either simply a function of what we like and hate, or it's a function of deeply ingrained, ungodly attitudes. Now, says James, ungodly desires are a lure. The idea is that of bait that's set out for an animal or a lure that you use when you're fishing. A lure is an enticement. Your desires are a lure that can move you to sin. And as we continue to read carefully, we're going to find out that in the end, just like a lure for a fish, the lure of sin is the lure that leads to our death. James wants us to understand that the hardships we face are a great advantage to the godly, but to those who don't trust in the meticulously sovereign hand of God in trial. This trial can be used by the enemy of our soul to lead us away to death. And if that's so, we must be very careful when we approach trials. At Back to the Bible Canada, our mission is simple. Teach the Bible. The perfect guidance and instruction on how we are to live our lives is already available in His Word. The Bible is the only self-help book you'll ever need. This month, we have an outstanding resource to help prime your hearts to receive the wisdom of the Bible. Before You Open Your Bible by Matt Smethurst is an excellent book that shares how we can position our mindset to one of gratitude and humbleness in preparation for reading the Word. We're confident this will help positively influence the way you view your Bible study. And that's why we've made this resource available for you for free for the month of July. So simply call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your free copy or to send a financial gift to support this Bible teaching ministry. James gives us a very graphic image of what happens when we don't take action against unrighteous desires. I'm reading James chapter 1, 50 to 16. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. See here, James makes a distinction between temptation and sin. Temptation, desire, well, that's the lure. I want to be sexually satisfied. I want to have the same money that others have. I I want people to respect me. I mean, all of this is like a conception, a seed that has penetrated an egg, something that's forming within us. And what we need to do is have a, a holy abortion. Don't let this desire give birth. Why? What is born out of desire, what eventually comes into being, is sin, says James. I want to be sexually satisfied. That's desire. And sexual uncleanness is born, be that in adultery or premarital sex or pornography, homosexuality, whatever it is. I want to have the same money that others have. That's the desire. And what's born is either theft or unethical practices. I want people to respect me. Well, that's the desire. And manipulation or abuse is born. Now, says James, when that little baby called sin is born, that baby is going to grow up and will have a child of its own called death. Or to put it another way, if sin is allowed to continue and grow, it will turn on you and it will kill you. It's inevitable. The baby called sin is a murderer seeking the death of his parent. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Or to bring us back to James' image, when the baby called sin is born, you have to murder the baby or it will murder you. So this is not to say that real Christians don't sin. We do. I don't trumpet this, nor do I make excuses for our sin. We never excuse sin. Rather, we mourn over sin. We repent of our sin. We never assume sin is normal. We assume it's as ugly as it truly is. But here's what James is saying. Sometimes the hardships we find ourselves in can lead to sin. Some of you are struggling with a sin. You you can hardly look up. You think, if everyone knew what I'm struggling with, they wouldn't even think that I was a Christian. They'd have nothing to do with me. But you're wrong in that. You'd be surprised by all the sins we all struggle with. Here's what a believer does. He's like the bulldog I spoke of in my last sermon. Remember that bulldog? Kept on showing up while two hunting dogs beat him up every time. But that bulldog never stopped showing up. He kept fighting. And that should be you. You might be struggling with pornography and you feel you're losing. Don't you dare stop fighting. You may be struggling with anger, despair, lust, greed, lying, gossiping, selfishness. Don't you stop fighting. If you fall a hundred times, get up a hundred and one times. Fight until you've killed sin. Don't you let that sin grow up and kill you. You may be like that little bulldog and these great big setters, the sins, beat you up every time. Well, then, there's still tomorrow to fight again. Trials are bad when they lead us to sinful desires. That's that's what we've said. But we also notice that in this passage, sin always leads to death. It always leads to damnation. Sin left by itself, sin which is not resisted. Sin which is merely excused or ignored eventually will lead to the damnation of every single human being. It grows up, says James, and then it murders you. That's that's a chilling thought. But then you might ask, if the book of James is supposed to give us confidence that trials are good, but they can be bad if trials can excite my sin rather than my faith, then how can I be confident in my trials? How should I find them pure joy? Indeed, how should I approach life in confidence, realizing how vulnerable I am? 
Or to put it in another way, how can I be sure that I will persevere in faithfulness and win the crown of life? You know, someone might say, you don't know how weak I am. I'm afraid I could lose my salvation. Well, in response, let me take you to verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, reading this verse in context, I have to think James is referring to the good gifts that come to us in our trials. When we face any number of hardships, rejoice. God is looking to produce in you a mature faith. Now, what are the trials you're facing? You see, God only brings good and perfect gifts. And furthermore, God is called the Father of lights. That simply means that he created all things, including the sun and the moon and the stars and all light. And in those lights that God created, there are varying degrees of light, but there are no varying degrees of goodness and perfection in God. And so it seems to me that the light that James has in mind are the moral perfections of God. There are no shadows in God. God is only light. He never mixes good and bad like yin and yang. As John says in 1 John 1 verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Look, there are religions in the world in which evil and good are seen as different dimensions of the same reality. That's not so in God. He is untouched by sin. He never morally compromises. He does not trade in unrighteousness. He's overwhelmingly consistent, never changing, always righteous, always acting consistently with his attributes. And because of that, we know that God never changes in his intention towards his children. He seeks their good. And if God seeks your good, then I begin in all my trials with a statement of faith. A statement I've already made needs to be repeated. God only brings things that serve our long-term good. Start with that. Whatever you're going through, be confident in what God allows to come into your life. Then add to that a second area of confidence. Look at the first half of verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, this idea of being brought forth, that's the thought of our conversion. Jesus said you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And James is saying that the action of our conversion came because of not our will, but God's will. He's saying that true salvation comes from God. If you truly know Christ, you know him because God took the initiative and saved you. He birthed you. You were born again because of God's willingness to have you. Be confident. The God who found you in your sin and overwhelmed you and saved you is also the God who will keep you. Remember verse 2 in James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. And then in verse 3, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Notice he didn't say it might produce steadfastness if the conditions are right, but rather those who are birthed by God will find that their trials produce that. Now, let's read all of verse 18, but let me give you the context by reading verses 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Notice how precious you are in God's eyes. 
Yes, you who stumble and who sometimes question God's goodness in your trials. The idea of first fruit simply means that the first fruit offering is the most important offering. God won't take you out of his sight. You'll never stop being precious to him. And doesn't that bring you confidence? But someone will still say, well, if all of that's true, well, I'm still worried. How do I know God really chose me for salvation? And furthermore, if all of this is only made certain when I reach the end, you know, when Paul says, I've fought the good fight, I've reached the end, well, what then? Let me take you back to the story of that little rascal bulldog that kept showing up for the fight. So you know why you fight with your sin? Someone might say, well, because I'm sinful. Well, sure enough, but there is more. You fight until you've won because your salvation came from God. If God hadn't birthed you and brought you forth of his own will, if he hadn't done that, you wouldn't still be fighting, would you? You'd be making excuses for your sins. You know, some time ago, someone sent me a letter in which he told me they weren't going to fight with sin anymore because, after all, lots of people sin worse sins than theirs, and some even call themselves Christians. But that isn't you, is it? Your trials may awaken you to temptations, but you won't give up. And why is that? Because when you got your faith in the first place, it was genuine faith and not a knockoff. So rejoice and take the warning seriously and fight, for in the end, Christ will give you the victory and you will receive the crown of life. He is the God who gives good gifts to his children. John, it seems like a bit of an oxymoron when we think about this because we're saying all good gifts come from God, but what we're saying, the trials are in essence good gifts. Yeah, they are good gifts. And this is why, Ben, some people are just thankful in all things. And some of us struggle so hard to be thankful. I think it's because there are some of us who have become mature in our faith. And and these are the individuals who learn to view all the things that come from the blessed hand of God. I'd like to tell a little story, Ben, and it's the story of a, um, a woman who, um, I was her pastor for a while, she passed away, and at her funeral, or her mother recounted this word. It was that one of the last words that came from her daughter's lips before she died is, Mom, God is good all the time. And, uh, I, you know, I think about this, this from the, from the lips of a dying young married woman and uh, who saw in this very trial the goodness of God who had never uh, left her side. May God give us that kind of faith. What a great word. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hi, it's Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. You know, we believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there may be times when you miss the radio program, so we wanted to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John. But you can also learn how to subscribe for our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our mission is to serve you so that Bible teaching you can trust is accessible to as many people in as many ways as possible. 
For more information or to make a donation to this ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.